If you take your Bibles today and join me in the book of Romans, Romans chapter number one. Romans chapter one. And this morning, if you've noticed, we're beginning a brand new series of messages. And it will be a study in the first several chapters of the book of Romans. And that the theme is good news for a broken world. Our experience in life tells us that something is not quite right in the world. Have you picked up on that? I don't know if you spend much time on cable news. Hopefully not too much. Some of you are giving me those, those looks like, yeah, probably a little too much. If you spend much time on cable news or scrolling your social media feeds, it becomes pretty apparent that something's just not right in this world. We question, well, why do bad things happen? Why do people act the way that they do? And we wonder if things will ever change. Well, the book of Romans answers these questions with a resounding announcement of good news for this broken world. The theme of the book of Romans is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we introduce this series today, we're going to key, on, key in on the theme verses. I believe these are the grand theme verses of the entire book of Romans. So I'd like to, we'll go verse by verse over the next several weeks, and we'll look at um, all of the riches, and, and really, the book of Romans, I'm excited because I've personally never taught or preached a series of messages through the book of Romans. And it's always a book that I've come to with a little bit of trepidation and awe. Now, maybe some of you know why that is. Because the book of Ro Romans is the gold mine of the New Testament. I mean, if you could only have one book of the Bible, probably, if you could only have one book, it would be one of the Gospels that you would choose. Many people feel it would be the Gospel of John. I tend to agree with that. But second to it, if you could only have two books of the Bible, I would, I would suggest that you get a hold of the book of John, and then secondly, Paul's epistle to the Romans. It is the most magnificent and majestic and thorough explanation of the Christian faith that you will ever find anywhere. The reformers fell in love with the book of Romans. The book of Romans really... Um, it was central in really defining the history of Western civilization. It was the reformers who discovered the truths in the book of Romans that set them free from a thousand years of religious bondage to find the truth of grace in Christ. And so I set all of that up to say, I hope that you will spend some time reading the book of Romans on your own. I hope you will invite friends and family members and co-workers to hear the messages from the book of Romans because this book will answer 
just about every question that anyone could ever ask. And I hope that you'll come each week with a prepared heart. You expect me to prepare for the sermon, do you not? How many say amen to that? Do you think the Lord expects us to come prepared to receive the word? Yeah. And I'm not saying that to, to criticize, just to, just to challenge or provoke our thinking. I'm not saying that you don't do that. But just as a reminder that we come primarily to be fed from the Holy Spirit by the word of God. So I'm a bit humbled to tackle this book, but I'm really excited as well. All that being said for introduction, let's look at what many, myself included, feel are the theme, the great theme verses of the book of Romans. Look with me at verse number 16. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And let's read this together. Let's, let's read these two verses out loud together slowly. And let's let the, we won't be in a hurry. Let's read them, think about them. Romans 1, 16 and 17, begin. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, also the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written. Now get ready, pause. As it is written, begin. The just shall live by faith. Let's pray together. Lord, please help us as we study the Bible today. We thank you for the riches of your grace that are laid out for us in your word. And we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that takes these truths and implants them in our hearts. I pray that each of us this morning, myself included, would be transfixed on the Word. What I pray that we would, we would not lose sight of what you would have for us today. I pray that you'd minister to each person in a way that only you can. I pray that you'd help me to communicate clearly and effectively. I pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus our Savior. Amen. Verses 16 and 17, if you noticed, he begins with this bold declaration, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. If you were to back up to verse number 1, you'd see a similar statement where he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel. Separated unto the gospel. If you were to look down in verse number 9, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. And then, of course, verse number 16, where we've been, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So, if you are one who underlines or takes extra notes, I think you know by now what word it is that we're underscoring today. It's that word, the gospel. The glorious news of Christ. The gospel. What is the gospel of Jesus? Well, in order to to unpack that, in order to understand that, we need to begin with the Greek word for gospel. And that Greek word for gospel is, and I put it in your notes on the inside page, 
The Greek word for gospel is the euangelion. The euangelion. Now, can anyone tell me what English word, other than gospel, that, we, that is derived from this Greek word, euangelion? Anybody know? You could, you could say it out loud, maybe? Well, we're going we're gonna to come to that. You're absolutely right. Adam, what did you say? Evangelism. The word, the evangel, it's a transliteration of the Greek word that is translated here, gospel, the euangelion, or the, the evangel. That's where we get the word evangelize or evangelism. It's where we get the word evangelical from. And interestingly enough, in our world today, when you say the word evangelical, a lot of people think of a, that it's a political statement, but it couldn't be further from the truth. It has always identified a group of people who are passionate believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news. The Greek word was often used before the scriptures were given to announce a great victory. Sometimes they would use the word gospel uh, or euangelion to refer to an announcement that made someone smile. Have you ever received news that just made you smile? You know, I mean, it just it just put a smile on your face. Some of you are probably uh, uh, Tom Brady fans in here, and he retired, and then all of a sudden the news came out several weeks later that probably put a smile on some of your faces that he came out of retirement. The good news. There's all kinds of good news. I think of the greatest, some of the greatest scenes in in our uh, previous generations, that somewhat recent history. How many of you remember the uh, the pictures and the, uh, and I don't think anybody was there, but you, you remember the pictures and the photographs of the parades uh, around the, the, at the end of World War II, VE Day and things like that. And you see the pictures of the celebrations in the streets. Do you know why? Because there was gospel that had been delivered. There was news. There was an announcement that had been delivered. And that announcement was that the Allies were victorious. Really, when that news was published, it could just as it could very accurately have been described as gospel. News that puts a smile on the face. News that brings joy. News, an announcement that brings rejoicing. We must never forget that the essence of the Christian message, at its very core, the Christian message is the message of good news. It is the announcement not of what we must do, but it is the announcement of what has been done through Jesus Christ. You see, if the announcement was an announcement of what you and I must do to earn eternal life, it wouldn't be very good news. It would be troubling news. It would be oppressive news. The gospel isn't, isn't a declaration of what must be done. It's a declaration of what has already been done. You see, it's the good news, but it's greater than any news of victory. It's greater than anything else because you noticed in verse number 16 that Paul says, I am not ashamed of the good news of Christ. It is the gospel of Christ. It is the announcement of good tidings that come from and through Jesus. It is the gospel of Christ. That word Christ is that Jesus is Messiah. He is Savior. He is the promised one. Do you remember how we began? Something is not right 
in this world. The whole theme, and we'll see it as the weeks unfold, that the, the Apostle Paul very carefully explains just what is wrong with the world. But as we know that there are problems all around us, the good news is announced that in the darkness, Jesus Christ, the Savior, the promised one, the one who will set the world right, he has come. Look at what he has done and look at how his work has changed everything. That's the gospel. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself into next week's topic, but I do want to ask you this. Are you a, are you a good news person? Are you a gospel person? We'll think a little bit more about that next week. But in the book of Romans, the gospel will be impacted, it will be expounded, the good news of Jesus Christ. So I want to speak with the rest of the time that we have this morning. I want to speak about this, focusing on these two verses. I want us to fully embrace the gospel this morning. To re really, not just to think, well, I've heard the message of the gospel before, but to say, in my life, in my attitude, in my actions, have fully embraced, have I really grasped a hold of, and am I living confidently, not in my own efforts, but in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Notice this, in what we kind of skipped over in verse number 16, is the thrust of the opening statement. Paul kind of shakes us here. And in fact, if you were to back up in verse number 15, you'd see it, Paul's talking about how he's ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome. He says, I'm ready to come to Rome, and I'm ready to preach the gospel to you. And he comes with a powerful statement to back that up in verse 16. And he says, do you know why I'm ready to come? He says, for I am what? I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed. I'm bold. I'm not afraid to stake my life to the gospel. I'm not afraid to boldly declare the message, the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you find it interesting that Paul opens with that, this, this section with that negative statement? Why would he say, I am not ashamed? Well, is it possible that for believers, there is a temptation at times to be ashamed of the gospel? Has that ever occurred in your life? Have you ever found yourself in moments saying, yes, I believe the gospel of Christ, but have you felt the temptation to be a bit ashamed? Now, there's probably, and you can look this gentleman up, but one of the greatest preachers who's ever preached through the book of Romans is a British British medical doctor and pastor named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he preached, it took him several years to get through the book of Romans. It won't take me that long, I promise. But he came to this passage, and I listened to him speak on this passage. And he had this observation. He said, if you have never been ashamed, if you would say, you know what, Ethan, I have never been ashamed of the gospel. He said, it could be that it's not because you are so courageous, but it is possibly because you probably don't understand the gospel. Say, well, what did he mean by that? 
Well, the fact is this. There is a version of the gospel that requires nothing of mankind. There is a version of the gospel, a false version of the gospel, that says you can go on living your life and add a little bit of Jesus to your life, mix it in with everything else, and all will be good. There is a version, a false version of the gospel, another version that's false of the gospel that would say, well, Jesus has a lot of good things to say, but he's not the son of God. He didn't really rise from the dead. And you should follow his teachings, but, but that's about the extent of the gospel. Well, that's a gospel of which no one would be ashamed. But what I'd like to show you for a few minutes this morning is this, that if we're going to embrace the gospel, there is a sense in which we must be prepared to embrace the offense of the cross. Embrace the offense of the cross. You see, Paul understood, and obviously this is through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but Paul understood that believers would at times, in our weak moments, at times, we would face the criticism of the world, we would face the onslaught of the world systems, system, and we might be tempted, even just for a little minute, to be what? To be ashamed. In fact, Paul would write to Timothy, I gave you this in 2 Timothy 1.8, Paul, Paul would have to remind the young pastor Timothy this. He says, Timothy, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. What is it about the gospel? Well, you see, the gospel, as defined by Paul elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 15, he defines the gospel, and you might even be able to say it with me. He says the gospel is the death, the burial, and the, the resurrection of Jesus. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. But I would say that that is not the entirety of the gospel, but the gospel is not less than that. That, does, that. that is the core of what the gospel is, that Jesus came, he died, was buried, and he rose from the dead. But the very first part of that, the very first statement, the gospel is the, what was the first word? The gospel is the death. It's the death of Jesus. It's death. Look at what it says here in 1 Corinthians 1.23. As we think about the weakness of the cross. We sing that song, the power of the cross. But did you know that the Bible also speaks a lot about the weakness of the cross? 1 Corinthians 1.23. But we preach Christ, what? Crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. Now the Jews would have been the religious crowd. They were waiting for a conquering king. And the Greeks would have been the cultured and intellectual crowd of their day. And they were looking for some kind of wisdom or somebody to give them a great philosophy to follow. But there is not anybody in the world that was looking for someone to come and die. Was there? Is there? There's no one. There was no people. There was no people throughout human history that said, oh, 
Our lives are in turmoil. We need, we need help. We need deliverance. We need victory. Everybody wanted a king who was looking for someone to come and die. No one was. In fact, as Jesus came, where was he born? He was born in a manger. He came weak. The prophet Isaiah said that when you looked at him, there was nothing beautiful about him, that people would desire him. In fact, Jesus came as the complete opposite of what every human being thought that they wanted. You see, when we want a Savior, do you know what we want? We want someone like us, just a little bit stronger. We want someone like us, just a little bit smarter, a little bit better. And Jesus has come, Jesus comes, and the first thing he says to mankind is, you need someone that is nothing like you. Now, yes, you, in the sense that you're a man, Jesus came a man, but he says, Jesus taught that the way to exaltation was through humility. The way to being first was by being what? Last. Jesus took the world's perceived order and he turned it completely on, his, on its head. He came and said, you, you're looking for someone with great power. And he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. You see, this goes even against the modern movements of our day. The liberal crowd, the liberal crowd says, you know what? Mankind is going to improve itself. We don't need a savior. But really, the ultra-conservative crowd often says the very same thing, just with different solutions. We're going to save ourselves. Through power, through might, by political advancement, by getting our way, all of the things that mankind is programmed to do to achieve status and power and authority, the gospel is the complete opposite of that. That he became poor so that we could be rich. And Paul says in, in the passage we saw from 1 Corinthians, he says, we preach Christ crucified. And when Paul would go into cities and they would say, oh, tell us about this new thing, tell us about this new way, and he would say, let me tell you about your Messiah. He was crucified. And what did the people of the day say? Why would we follow someone who was crucified? The, your leader was executed by the Roman government? Why would we follow him? And as soon as they heard that, they would say, no, that message is not for me. And then when they would hear about the resurrection, the Greeks would say, impossible foolishness. You see, why as believers though, we need to be willing to embrace the offense of the cross. We need to be willing to understand. If we truly understand the gospel, we walk out confidently into a world and we understand that yes, the world is going to be hostile to the message, but it doesn't change the fact that it is still the greatest news that they could ever hear. It's still the greatest news that can change their lives. It's changed our lives. But we embrace the offense and we say, you know what? Yes, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only a gospel of power, but it's a gospel of weakness. We don't just believe it with our mouths, but we live it with our lives. And we say, I don't have to get my way because I am a person of the gospel. I don't have to get my way through strength. I can turn the other cheek. 
Boy, do you remember the things Jesus spoke about? I don't have to be first. I can actually be last. That's a gospel identity. That's The gospel comes, first of all, in weakness. And yes, it can be an offense to the world, and Paul understands that, but he says, go ahead and embrace the offense. Go ahead, <coughs> excuse me. Go ahead and claim it. Go ahead and stand fast saying, it does not matter. Because the Bible says this, that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, but God has revealed Himself to us by His Spirit. And so Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be surprised at the offense of the cross, but don't be ashamed of it either. But of course we know that we don't stay in that place of weakness. That's not the end of the Gospel message. Because not only do we embrace the offense of the cross, but now we embrace the power of the resurrection. Back in Romans chapter 1, at verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the what? It is the power of God. This is why, yes, Jesus came in weakness. He was crucified in weakness. But the message of the gospel is the death the burial, and then ultimately the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Paul says the gospel of Christ, yes, when you focus on, when you start with the death, it's a message of weakness and shame, but when you come to the, God, when you come to the resurrection, when you see the resurrection of Jesus, it is a message of power. And the gospel itself has inherent power in it. That word power, it means a supernatural enabling. It's the Greek word dunamis, and it literally means that there is a power that is given to us through the gospel. Do you believe this morning that the gospel of Jesus has inherent power to it? God said in the Old Testament that his word would not return void. Now, we're going to spend several weeks on Wednesday nights talking about how to explain the gospel and how to, and, and how to understand and, and communicate effectively. But did you know what the best thing you can do when you're, what the, the greatest thing you can do when sharing the gospel with someone is? Just speak it. Just speak the truth. That Jesus, the most powerful thing you can do to some, for someone is to quote a scripture like John 3.16. Do you know why? Because it's not in our ability. It's not in our vocal skills. It's not even in, in, in our behaviors and interactions and interpersonal skills. It is in the declaration. Remember, the gospel is an announcement. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for you. Don't be ashamed of it. Why? Because the Bible says if you simply speak it, if you simply declare it, there is power in the message of Jesus. Never be, I've heard people say before, well, you know, why would you quote the Bible to someone who doesn't read the Bible? Have you ever heard that discussion before? And, and as people talk about apologetics, and, and, and they'll say, well, people have to, you know, you, you can quote the Bible to them, but they don't even believe the Bible. I understand what they're saying, but I quote the Bible because there's power in the Bible. There's power there. It was Charles Spurgeon they asked him about defending the Bible. And Charles Spurgeon says, I would just as soon defend a lion 
but rather than defend a lion, I would simply rather let him out of the cage. And that is how we just, and that doesn't mean we get up and arrogantly get in people's faces. That's not what we're talking about. But we, with the joy of glad tidings, we say, I believe the gospel. Do the people that you work with, do they know that you believe the gospel of Jesus? Have they heard you say, I am a Christian. I believe the gospel of Jesus. I believe the good just a simple, just that simple statement of what Christ has done. We need to embrace the power of the gospel. Why? Because it's not about us. It is the power of, of God. The power that comes from God. It's supernatural. In fact, we've got to go back to the First Corinthians passage because I didn't do it justice a few minutes ago. Because it says we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greek foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It's this power. We, as we embrace the cross, we embrace the power of resurrection. It, it's the resurrection. Yes, the death showed the weakness of the cross and the humility of the cross, but the resurrection of Jesus displays the glory of the cross. Romans says that, it, that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. You see, when we give the gospel, we don't just talk about the death of Christ, because the death of Christ only proved that he was a man. But the resurrection of Christ proved that he is the Son of God, and that his death was sufficient. His death was enough to pay for our sins. It is the resurrection that displays the power of the gospel. And then I love this as we think about the power. It's not just a power that, that comes from God that's displayed in the resurrection, but it is a power that is universally available. Do you see what it says that in verse 16? It is the power of God unto salvation. Back to verse 16. It is the power of God unto salvation to who? To who? To everyone who believes. Everyone. And in case we don't understand what everyone means, he goes on to describe what he means. He says, yes to the Jew first, but also to who? To the Greek. Do you understand the significance of this statement? That this is an, a, a culture-shattering statement in this verse? You say, well, I don't know. Why, why would you say that? Study world cultures. How many of the ancient pagan cultures shared their gods with the neighboring nations? The answer is zero. None. If you study ancient warfare and you study ancient civilizations, you know what a lot of the conversations look like? Well, our god is better than your god. Our gods are better than yours. Oh, yeah? 
It's, like, it's kind of like two boys with a my dad conversation, right? My dad can beat your dad up. My, go- my, my gods can take out your gods. Well, all of, all of, all of we Babylonians, we'll, we're going to be spared, but all of you Persians, you know, you're going to be destroyed. I mean, that's, that was the story of human history for thousands of years. Every culture viewed themselves as, as supreme and as right, and they had a worship system that simply validated themselves, who they were as a racial or cultural identity. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, was announced, glad tidings to all people, all people, that the gospel was not just for white people or black people or Asian people. The gospel was, was it shattered cultural and it shattered ethnic and racial divisions because the good news of Jesus is for everyone. And do you know how weird the local church looked in the New Testament? You say, what do you mean? I mean, the local church was the weirdest place that you would ever go. Your regular Greek person, I don't know what Greek people did, you know. I've watched them movies, but I don't know how accurate they are. I don't know if Greek ladies got their nails done or whatever, but let's say, you know, you get your nails done and then you get invited to go to one of your friends has just become a Christian. And she invites you to their assembly. Okay, I'll come check it out. And when you walk in, to your utter horror, and you're just aghast, there are slaves here. There are poor people here. There are Jews here. There are Africans here. And all these Greeks are just mixed in with all these people? There's women intermingling freely with the, with the men. They're not following all the social orders of the day. And you say, and someone comes up to you and you ask your friend the question, and you say, Apostle told us that in Christ there's not slave or free. There's not Jew or Greek. There's not male or female. And you shudder in horror. Can you believe it? What a strange group of people these Christians are. Why? Because that's the power of the gospel. It's for everyone. It's for all people. If you are under the sound of skeptical voices in North America today, if you hear people criticize Christianity, you hear people criticize Christianity, and they say, well, I can't believe in Christianity because it is a white man's religion. Has anybody ever heard anybody say that before? Do you know what the average Christian in the world today looks like? If you were to do something as trivial as identify them by their physical appearance, which apparently the skeptics would like to do. You said it. The average Christian today, by worldwide statistics, is a black African woman. Doesn't that just do your heart good? that we're not following some some cultural homogenous movement. When people attack the gospel for being a a European religion or a white man's religion, that is not historically true. All of the first Christians had brown skin. And most believers today are on the continent of Africa, and then after that, I believe, the continent of Asia, 
where Christianity is exploding like it never has before. Why? Because the gospel is power for all people. And oh, if our friends, and I don't say that to, to, to ridicule or demean, our, you, you, you like me, you probably have friends who are, are very liberal. They don't, they don't believe the, the message of the gospel. But oh, if they could just see that the Bible itself, the gospel itself, is for them. It is for everyone. And it is the power of God. It tells us what's wrong with the world, but it gives the best news of how the world is made right. The gospel is the power of God. Yes, there's an offense that comes with the cross, but there's power that comes through the resurrection. What a glorious message. What a glorious word. News that will make you smile. Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every Jew. But then the last part of the message this morning comes in verse, at the end of verse, well, we kind of skipped over it in verse 16, 16, and then we'll see it unpacked in verse 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Go back to verse 16. Yep, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that what? Believeth. Everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greeks. Well, what do you mean? 17, I hear him answer. Or therein. Wherein? In the what? In the gospel. In the announcement of the good news. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. That is a power-packed statement right there. For in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from what? Faith to faith, as it is written, the just. Now that word just, you've got to link that word just with righteous. Let me help you out here. So you, can't, you can't always see this in the English, but in the original language, you, you, you see the connection. The word righteousness is the same as the word just. Just means righteous one. So you, are you following that with me? So you've got to link the word righteous with just. And now you've got to link the word faith with back in verse 16, the word believe. Everybody making the connections now. Believe is linked to what? A little pop quiz now on the material that we just reviewed. The word believe is linked to the word faith. And the word righteous is linked to the word just. Righteousness comes through what? Faith. Whose righteousness? God's. And I am made just through what? Through faith. Believing. Embrace the freedom of faith. There's that invitation to anyone who will believe, anyone who will trust, Anyone who will receive the message of the gospel. 
But notice also, not just an invitation, but it is an invitation to receive the righteousness of God. It is a perfect righteousness. If you enjoy theological terms, I'd encourage you to write this one down. It is referred to as alien righteousness. How many of you have heard that term before? Now, we're not talking about something with funny eyes or an extraterrestrial. Alien as meaning foreign or separate or otherly. Righteousness that comes from somewhere else. How many of you do your best to be a righteous person? Only three or four of you. Man, that's disappointing. But anyway, you, you know it's a rhetorical question. The world is full of people. We all try our best, not all, most, try our best to be righteous people. We may not use that term, but we say, I generally think of myself, people will say, as what type of person? As a, as a good person. I gen generally think of myself as a good person. Well, the, we'll get to this in a future week, but the question is always, well, to who or what is your standard of goodness, right? Jesus said this. This will, I think, kind of make sense of the passage. In Matthew 5.20, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.20, Jesus says this, For I say unto you, that except your, there's that word again, what is it? Except your righteousness shall exceed be more than, be greater than whose? Your righteousness, Jesus says, has to be better than whose? The scribes and the Pharisees. Do you know who the scribes and the Pharisees were in that day? They were the most religious, righteous, goody-two-shoes people you would ever meet. They did everything that was by the book. And Jesus says to a crowd of people, oh, would you like to see the kingdom of God? Yes, I would. Well, you need to have a greater righteousness than them. And everybody, nobody would have been like, oh, sure, I got that covered. The response to, from everyone would be what? This is impossible. Proving that there was another kind of righteousness that was available. There was a righteousness that didn't come from inside of us. It comes from outside of us. It comes from God. It is the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel. It is the perfection of Christ that is given to us when we receive the gospel. In fact, Paul would say it this way. In contrast to Matthew 5, Philippians 3, 9, Paul would say this. Paul's great desire was to be found in him. Now, ironically, Paul had been a Pharisee before. He used to be a Pharisee. And Jesus said, your righteousness has to be better than whose? The Pharisees. That's who Paul was. And Paul says, I want to be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness, which is, could you say the last part with me? The righteousness, which is what? Of God by faith. It comes from who? And how do we get it? That's the glorious message, and that is the glorious freedom of the gospel. 
You see, if the message was the message of religion, think about the message of religion. It doesn't matter if it's a false version of Christianity, Buddhism, Islam, the Hindu religions. It doesn't matter what religion you look at. All of the, the religions basically tell you the same thing. You are messed up. You've got to get yourself perfect. Right? I mean, that's at the heart of all of it. Whether you do that through lots of reincarnations or whether you do that through lots of uh, sacraments through the church or you do it through just being a good person, either way, the announcement, the news that comes from religion is you are not righteous enough. You are guilty. And everybody's like, yeah, I got that. I understand that. What do I do about it? Well, here's your list. Anybody feeling, is that news to make anyone smile? But the message of the gospel is that you are a sinful mess. You are so unrighteous. Well, what do I do about it? There's nothing you can do about it. All right, so I'm not smiling yet. I'm not smiling yet. The work has already been done. There's a righteousness that can be given to you. It's the righteousness that comes from God through faith alone in Jesus. And he says, he just wants back to verse number 17, Gideon, if you'd put that back up, just, just so we don't miss the, evident, the emphasis, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, what? To faith. He, there's no room for anything else. It starts in faith, it's finished by faith. There's no room for anything else. And then just for emphasis, he quotes the prophet in the Old Testament and he says, as it is written, a just person, a righteous person, person is someone who lives by what? By faith and faith alone. One of my favorite authors on the gospel is Pastor Tim Keller. He says this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Ever. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Those are the glad tidings. And Paul says, I am going to spend 16 chapters just pouring out the riches of the gospel. I'm going to explain the gospel. I am going to make sure that you stand in the gospel. And I'm going to make sure that you have been changed by the gospel and that your life continues to be changed by the gospel. And if you're a Christian brother or sister in here this morning, if, you're, if, the, if, the, if the impetus for your day, if the, if the drive when you get up is anything other than the fact that you are a sinner who has been redeemed and set free by Jesus Christ, you're off to a wrong start to your day. And I'm pointing at me just as much as you. You see, the gospel of Jesus is not the beginning of our Christian life, and then we move on to other things. The gospel of Jesus is the very core of our being as Christians. That you can never be more accepted than you are in Christ, because your righteousness doesn't come from you, it comes from Him. That there's no reason to be ashamed, because God has done a marvelous work in your life. It is the gospel that makes us accepted. It is the good news that gives us the power to live for Him. So embrace it. Live in its power. And just walk out of here this morning deciding to not be ashamed 
to walk out this morning and like Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Pick up a, 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 we've got these wonderful books, the book Done, that explains to someone. In fact, one of the ladies last week picked up a copy, says she wants to give it to her brother. We've got tracks that you can say, hey, you know, the gospel of Jesus has changed my life. I want to share it with you. I want to invite you to, to come and hear the word of God. I want you to consider it. Would you go out of this place today just with a new empowering of the Holy Spirit to live for the gospel of Christ and never be ashamed? And whether you're sitting in the room this morning or you're listening to the message, the best news you could ever hear is that you're a sinner and that Jesus loves you anyway. And the best announcement that could ever be given to you is that there's nothing left for you to do to have eternal life except to believe on Jesus. Whether you're a child, whether you're an adult, teenager, whoever you are, are you, are you sure that your faith is in the gospel of Christ? If not, I'd invite you to make that decision today. Don't wait any longer. Don't delay. Don't risk your soul. Talk to the Lord this morning. Give your life to Him. Put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Let's conclude with a time of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. In just a minute, we'll, we'll sing that wonderful song again, There is a Redeemer. Beautiful, beautiful gospel song. But I would just ask you to take a few minutes and search your heart this morning. Deborah will play softly on the piano and give us a, just a time of reflection. Ha Is there a sense of shame? Have you let the world kind of wear you down a little bit? Have you forgotten the glory of the gospel? Spend some time with the Lord right now. you so much for the, the wonder of your word, the glory of your plan. God, I pray that our hearts would just continue to be stirred. We pray that you'd move in our church. I pray that you would meet each need. Lord, you know what people are struggling with. You know where the difficulties are. Lord, and then we pray for this body of believers to be bold proclaimers of your goodness. Lord, give us a, give us a strength that can only come from you spread your word. We love you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen.